Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 15. It's the parable of the sower. It's also known under a different name, the parable of the four soils. Uh, Either way, we're looking at that parable today, no matter what you call it. Uh, The other day, my youngest son, Jet, came home from school. I don't know what they're studying at school, but he came up to me and says, Daddy, I want to plant an apple tree. And I said, uh, okay, son, where, where exactly do you want to plant said apple tree? I want to plant it in the backyard. Uh, okay, well, um, how do you suggest we, we go about doing that, son? I don't have any apples uh, or any apple seeds. And he said, Daddy, do we have any apples? And I said, uh, yeah, I think we've got an apple. So I went and got him an apple, and I, I put it in his hand, and he immediately started eating the apple. And I said, I'm I'm not exactly sure how this is going to plant apple trees in my backyard. But Jet had a plan. He had a plan. So he ate about halfway through the apple and he got to the seeds. And uh, and he pulls the little seeds out. And I said, you know, because I'm trying to be the, the educational dad, letting Jet do his thing. And I said, well, Jet, what do we do with these seeds? He goes, it's time to plant. And I said, okay. And uh, so uh, we walk outside now, you know, I I don't want to just give my son a shovel and let him start digging up my backyard. And so I I make a compromise with him. I said, Jet, why don't we, uh, why don't we take these apple seeds and I've got an empty pot in the backyard. It's got some dirt there. Why don't we, uh, why don't we go back there and plant those apple seeds back there? So Jet seemed to be pretty cool with that. So we got a little spade, a little shovel. The dirt was a little stale, you know, in this pot. Hadn't been, you know, tilled up in a while. And so I began to sort of till this little pot up and kind of loosen the dirt. And I made a little hole. And then uh, Jet put the, uh, put the seeds in and then he covered it up. And we noticed that in the soil there was some weeds. Uh, and so we kind of pulled some of the weeds out. And I said, Jet, what do we do next? He says, well, Dad, now we've got to, now I've got to water and I said, okay, well, let's, let's go get some water. And he says, Dad, I want to get a lot of water. And I said, well, it's just two little seeds. Let's start off light. And so we got a cup, and we poured the cup. And uh, I was about to walk away, and I said, well, Jed, are, are we done? And he says, no, Daddy, the real work begins now. And I said, well, what do we do? And he says, now we just look at it until it grows. <laughs> and I said, well, buddy, that's going to be a long wait. I said, maybe we need to come back every day and water and we'll, you know, kind of inspect as as we go along. Uh, But it got me thinking a little bit about the example that Jet has uh, set for us this afternoon. To grow, you better have a good seed, right? In order to grow something, you have to start with a good seed. Now, we don't know. Maybe down the road we'll discover that Jet's apple seeds are good. Who knows? Uh, the other thing we, uh, we learned is that it better be planted in good soil with room to breathe and room to receive water and light. These are basic things that we've learned in grade school. Nothing is going to grow if it's 
choked out by weeds. You got to make sure that you debug and, and, hey, Jet. Okay, there you go. Love you, buddy. <laughs> he went to sit with his mommy. He loves his mommy a lot. I, I asked Jed if he wanted to go with me uh, someplace. This was this past week. I said, son, do you want to go with me to the store or Target or wherever it was I was going to go? I was going to spend some one-on-one time with my, with my third son, you know, because I'm a good dad. And uh, he just looks up at me and he goes, is mommy going to go? <laughs> well, nothing's going to grow if it's choked out by weeds. It's got to be tended to and pulled. And Jed is right, by the way. Jed is actually right. For something to grow properly, it's got to be inspected regularly. Now, maybe we don't sit there and stare at it until it grows. But it definitely has to be inspected. You've got to make sure it's growing the proper way. It reminds me of Paul's words found in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 5, it says this, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Look at yourselves to make sure you're growing the right way. Test yourselves. And surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you would have failed the test of genuine faith. There's something to be said for taking a step back and looking at your faith, looking at where you stand with the Lord and making sure Hmm, am I really bearing kingdom fruit in accordance with repentance? So this morning, I, I want you to fill in this blank. Jesus is unveiling the salvation process. Jesus is unveiling the salvation process. And he does that, by the way, in Luke chapter 8. So to give you a little bit of a context and background of what we're looking at here, I want to remind you that the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils, it can be seen in Matthew uh, chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, and again, of course, in Luke chapter 8. And the parable of the four soils in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, it's a, it's a, it's a brief parable about farming that could be interpreted a lot of different ways depending on who you were during the time of Christ. Uh, it has lots of agricultural imagery, and yet it's got standard metaphors and Jewish traditions, both for instruction and for interaction of God and Israel. And of course, it has some instruction and interaction for us today as God and followers of Christ. Uh, by the way, these would be standard sort of teaching tools that were delivered back in Greco-Roman society and education, uh, such as you've got sowers who are teachers they sow, which are their teachings, and their seeds are their words, and they're received by various soils, which would be students, if you will. And in this context, the Gospel of Luke uses the sower parable to illustrate differing responses to the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Have you always found it very interesting that you've got the same Jesus throughout the entire Gospel story? The same Jesus, and yet he's seen and viewed at the same time, but he's seen and viewed as both a hero, a savior, but also as a blasphemer and a villain. Isn't it fascinating that even though Jesus never changes, 
people surrounding Jesus see him in incredibly different ways. Well, that's where we are this morning. So this morning, why don't you again open your Bibles to Luke 8, 4 through 15. I'm going to be reading this morning from the English Standard Version if you want to follow along with me. Starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So that the scene, in seeing they may not see, and in hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The one along the path are, are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and not be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that that is in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So three really brief keys that I want to explain this morning are, are this. Three keys from Jesus' parable. Let's start out with Roman numeral one. We're introduced to the sower. The sower. Verse five, a sower went out and to sow his seed. And again, in verse 11, we find out that this parable is the seed is the word of God. The society that Jesus was living in was largely centered in and around agriculture. So using a story to far, about farming to illustrate salvation would have immediately resonated with those listening to Jesus. Remember, most of these people in the crowds were uneducated farmers. They were just farmers themselves just trying to survive. So they would have immediately taken to this illustration of a, a sower with a seed. And Jesus starts the story discovering or discussing a certain sower. Now it was the sower's job to scatter seed. And in a moment we'll discover who the sower is. We know that the sower is actually God himself. He is the sower. There are a few things that we learn about God from Jesus' story. First, we discover that the sower is active. He is an active sower. The sower is not sitting idly by expecting seed to jump out of his satchel and hit the ground. He's not a man that's just kind of walking ho-hum and as he walks jiggling the, the seed and the seed sort of spills out of his bag wherever it may go. No, the sower is an active participant doing an active job. He's working, he's moving, he's active in the same way that the living God is moving and active today. Look around, friends, and you can witness for yourself the movement of God everywhere, everywhere. 
Don't believe the hype of the world, which would have us believe that, that churches are irrelevant, uh, irrelevant and that God doesn't even exist. The church is the body of Christ, and it's been given a purpose, and it's been given a power through the cross. I see God, by the way, moving around all around, changing people's lives every day. God is binding up the broken. He's healing the injured. He's saving the lost. I'm continually amazed at how God takes the broken things of life and turns them into the beautiful things of heaven. So the sower is most certainly God. However, again, taking a different vantage point of the same story, the sower is also you and me. We are the sowers. When Jesus gives us the great commission, we are immediately and forever enlisted into God's spiritual agricultural assault on the world. We are now farmers in possession of the seed of the gospel and it's us it's up to us to pass along that message to scatter that seed everywhere that we go does god by the way need us for this mission um no god doesn't need Stuart. He doesn't need any of us. However, we become partners with the Almighty in this holy endeavor that we should see our employ in God's mission as a joyous privilege. God gives us the opportunity to partner with him and praise him for it. Next, the sower is moving and active, but he's also constant. By the way, nowhere in this story does it say that the farmer or the sower ever stops. The mission leading all the way to today, leading all the way to today of sowing seeds is still very much so incomplete. Here's some numbers for you, for those of you that like numbers. There are still soils around the globe that need to receive the seed of the gospel. Did you know that roughly that there are 6,500 languages spoken in the world today? 6,500 languages. And yet, as of 2017, the Bible has only been translated into roughly 670 languages. That means that there's 580 languages that exist right now with no translation of God's word. How can people know God if they can't even read about him? Well, preacher, that's why we've got missionaries to go and tell them. That's a good point. Do you know that right now there are still unreached, there are still 5,574 people groups in the world that have not heard the gospel of Christ? That's hard to imagine as we sit here in Daphne, Alabama, when there's a, a church on every corner. Well, that is not the way it is. That's not indicative of, who, of what the world looks at. Almost 6,000 people groups have not heard the gospel. Our own denomination, Southern Baptist, we're doing what we can. Did you know that Southern Baptists produce the strongest evangelical and missional opportunities of any denomination? By the way, if you're a Southern Baptist today, you should be proud. You should be very proud. Uh, through the cooperative program, through the International Mission Board, through the North American Mission Board, through the Journeyman Program, which, by the way, we've got a young girl, a, a young lady who's just graduated from college that's wanting to go uh, to be a journeyman. Through all of these entities, through when we give to Lottie Moon and when we give to Annie Armstrong and, and when we give a huge portion of our annual giving to the cooperative program, the Southern Baptist Convention, all of those gifts keep missionaries on the mission field. So right now, because of our church, 
church and because of hundreds of, of thousands even of churches like us, we've got 4,500 missionaries, give or take a few, right now stretched across the globe casting the seed of the gospel. Now that may seem like a lot to you, but there's 7.6 billion people in the world. 7.6 billion of them. Mostly living, by the way, not in America, mostly living in India and China that have not heard the gospel of Christ. Even though we're doing a fantastic job, the field is really big. Even though we're doing a great job of scattering seed as Southern Baptist missionaries, the field is really, really huge. It's overwhelming the size of the field. Quite honestly, it's, it's not, we don't have a seed problem. There's lots of seed in the bag. We've got enough gospel to go everywhere around the globe. The problem that we've got is not a seed problem. It's a sower problem. We need more sowers. Now, I know that this morning I've made this, uh, this issue of sowing seeds and sowing and, and you've got 7.6 billion people. That's a huge problem and none of us are going to be able to really solve that problem. I'll admit, that's too big of a problem for one person to deal with. But I will say this, if you'll allow me to shrink the problem down for you. Did you know that there may just be an unreached people group that might be living right next door to you? An unreached people group. I'm talking about a people group that has never been to church, that knows little about the gospel, that doesn't possess a Bible, that might be living one step outside your front door. This came home to me a few weeks ago. I was eating lunch and talking about the gospel with a family, some visitors that had come to our church. And while eating lunch with them and talking about Jesus, the family revealed to me that this was their first time in church. And I said, oh, you mean like the first time you've been to Eastern Shore Baptist Church? And they said, no, 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 the first time we've been to church. And I said, you meant to say like you've never been in a Baptist church. No, 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 this is our first time in a church. Oh, like you like probably grew up as a Catholic or something. No, 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 you don't understand. We've never been to church. Ever. That blew my mind. And I said, well, you know about Jesus? Yeah, we, I mean, we've heard him. I mean, we've heard his name and stuff. And, you know, we know people down here are kind of into him and all. But, I mean, you know, we don't really know a lot about him. And I said, well, you got a Bible, right? And, no, we don't really have a Bible. I said, really? You've never even, like, stolen a Gideon Bible out of, like, a hotel or something? And they're like, no. We, we didn't know we could steal Bibles. No, steal them. It's Okay. Take a Bible. That's what they're there for. <laughs> I came home and was talking to my wife, and I was like, are you kidding me? In Daphne, Alabama, we've got people who've never been to church, who know this much about Jesus, who do not possess a Bible. Why are we making the mission field so big we can't even wrap our arms around it when we've got people literally that we play baseball with or football with or live next door to us that have no idea? about what really this whole gospel story is all about. Oh, man, I was convicted. The other day, I was sitting out on my front porch with a guy. 
He's uh, just moved into my neighborhood. He's about three houses down from me, and we've gotten to be pretty good friends, and our kids kind of hang out together, and our, our, they play ball together and, do, you know, this and that. And so anyway, we were, uh, I was sitting out on my front porch, and, and uh, he came and, and kind of sat down while our kids were kind of goofing off in our driveway, and we began to talk about Scripture. We began to talk about faith, and uh, he, he's an actor, and so we began to talk about, like, what the movie industry is like, and and I, I invited him to church, and I said, you know, of course, he knows I'm a pastor. I've told him that. And, and I said, uh, he goes, well, you know, it's been a while, you know, since I was in church. And I said, really, you know, I get that a lot, by the way. I get a, it's been a long time since I've been in church. And I said, when was the last time uh, that, that you were in church? He said, well, the last time I was in church was when I was, was, when I was baptized. And I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's a good start. We're starting with baptism already. This is great. And I said, well, when was that? And he goes, I was like three months old. It was, I was baptized as a Catholic. Three months old? The last time he was in church? Are you kidding? Friend, let me tell you, I I get it. I I know that I can't share Jesus with 7.6 billion people. Not all 7.6 billion people need to know about Jesus. But I tell you what, that family that we play sports with, they can hear about Jesus. Or or the guy that lives three doors down from me, that God actually brings to my front doorstep and sits there and has lemonade with me on my front porch, that guy can hear about Jesus. Sometimes the mission field isn't that big. Sometimes the mission field is literally one step outside our front door. If we just open our eyes and find it. God is the sower, but he's given us a holy privilege of partnership. And are you burdened for people that may never hear the gospel? Are you burdened for the people right here in Daphne? I know it's crazy to believe, but it's absolutely true. And Jesus even reminds his disciples his purpose for sowing. Look at Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight of the blind. to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, what a message we've got. That's awesome. Look at number two. We have the sower, but then we've also got the seed. Again, looking at verse four and five, and he says, when a great crowd was gathered and the people of the town came from town to town to see him, he said this in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. Again, in Luke chapter eight, verse 11, he says that the seed is the word of God. The seed that is being cast into the fields is the word of God. That's a big statement because the word of God is something truly awe-inspiring. This is not the only time that Jesus, by the way, talks about seeds. You remember the, the mustard seed and the power that it can generate. The mustard seed, by the way, is mentioned three times in the Gospels. I'll, I'll just talk about two of them here this morning. In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, he says, he replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, a small seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. On the screen, I believe we've got a picture of a mustard seed. Even on the screen, that is one tiny seed. That's a small seed. But look at a mulberry tree. That's a mulberry tree. So if you've got the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can uproot that tree. You can cast it from here to Gulf Shores and throw it in the water. That's a pretty powerful seed. 
Again, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says, Blessed, uh, excuse me, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you that if you have faith as small as what? A mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Again, we've got this seed. It's small. And what mountain, by the way, was Jesus talking about? Well, it was referring really to anything that seems impossible, overwhelming, daunting. With just a small fraction of faith, nothing is impossible. Are you seeing the power of a seed? It's a powerful seed. The seed, the word of God, is able to generate tremendous, overwhelming spiritual power that takes the impossible things and makes them possible. The same seed that's able to take the dead, unregenerate heart of a human being and transform them into animated spiritual beings with passion and purpose. The same word of God that spoke the universe into existence and the same seed that we possess Planted in our spirits. The seed that generates spiritual life is in our hands, and we should be distributing that seed everywhere that we go. You've probably never heard the story of Keith Repult, R E P U L T. Keith grew up in the foster system of California. He didn't have a father, his father had abandoned him, and so had his mother. And they clearly didn't care much for him. He grew up hearing the word. He, ne- he grew up never hearing those words, I love you or I care about you. He never belonged. He never fit in. And he began to find comfort in drugs and alcohol and soon himself became a drug dealer. And one day he stumbled into a bar which doubled as an adult bookstore. The bartender and the owner hired him to start shipping his adult materials to distributors in the city where they would then take them and move on from there. He went from shipping to sales, and then eventually at the height of his run, he began to produce, if you will. We've got younger ears in the audience, so I'm going to guard myself there. Keith started his own production company, and get this, after a week in business, One week of business, he became richer than he could have ever imagined. By the end of the year, Keith Repult was wearing a $60,000 watch, had multiple cars, houses, stables, and horses. However, as Keith began to look on the interior of his heart, he realized that he was shallow and empty and dead. As Keith began to struggle with all the various addictions that he had, he began to look for help and he stumbled his way into a church and where he met a local pastor. And this is a quote from Keith's book. He said, I told him my whole story and I said, well, do you still like me? And all he said was, God knew what he got when he brought you in these doors, Keith. And with those words, I hung on to them. I wanted to change my life, but I didn't know how. And he told me, Keith, just keep looking to the cross. It was a long, hard process for Keith Repult, but eventually Keith gave his life and his heart to Christ. His wife, after seeing the transformation in Keith's life, she gave her life to Christ as well. 
their three children that they had been raising together, they heard Keith's story and they heard what Jesus had done in Keith's life and in their mom's life and they accepted Christ as well. And what's really interesting, today Keith Repult is no longer in that industry. He's in a different kind of industry. He's the recovery pastor, a pastor, by the way, that ministers to people that are dealing and struggling with addictions at a church, it's actually called the Mission Church in Ventura, California. And he wrote a book about his transformation called Just Breathe, All Stories Redeemable, All Brokenness Repairable, All Addictions Breakable, which tells a story of how the Word of God transformed his life. You see, friends, that seed that we have can do the impossible if the sowers are responsible can do the impossible if the sowers are responsible. Spread it, cast it, give it away. You never know what life God may change. Listen to Paul's words found in Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The power of God. And it brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The last part is this. We have the sower, the seed, and now we've got the soils. And we see the soils described in verses 12 through 15. We have the stories discussed in verse 5 of Luke chapter 8. And we we discover that the sower is God, the seed is the word of God, and the soils are the people. Different people in different conditions and situations. And I suppose it's important to understand that while God created all people to hear the gospel, not everyone will receive the gospel. Did you hear what I said? It's important to understand that while God created all people to hear the gospel, not everyone will receive the gospel. It's my belief that all people are called by God to redemption and that Jesus died for all people unto salvation. However, not all people will respond. Sadly, while God provides a path for all to enter heaven, the road leading to destruction is wider and broader, and it is traveled by a massive majority of people. Small is the road that leads to salvation, and much fewer find it. It's important to remember that though God does provide a road to salvation, that road is paved with blood, and most people don't want to get their feet dirty. In Matthew Chapter 7, verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow way. The highway to hell is broad, and its gates are wide for the many who choose to go that way. So let's take just a real brief moment, and let's look at the soils, the four types of people that Jesus describes. Letter A, we have the calloused. The calloused. The hard ground represents someone who's hardened by sin. He hears but does not understand the word, and Satan plucks the message away, keeping the heart dull and preventing the word from making an impression in the soil. So when the gospel is presented to them, they're too focused on life's material aspects, what they can see, touch, smell, and taste. They're so consumed with the world's entertainments and pleasures that the kingdom message has no way to have any significant influence on their life. So that's the callous soil. Then you've got the second brand of soil. Look at, excuse me, before we go to brand number two, look at Hebrews chapter three, verse 15. Remember when it says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. 
hardened hearted people. Then we have letter B. We've got the cowardly. The cowardly. The stony ground pictures a man who professes delight with the word. However, his heart is not changed. And when trouble arises, his so-called faith quickly dissipates and disappears. These are the people who hear the gospel and rush down to the altar. They're completely sincere in that moment, but the gospel meets resistance as it roots its way into a person's heart. Jesus promises us, by the way, in John 16, verse 33, that in this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we, everybody, Christians, non-believers, will all have trouble. And so the moment that trouble arises in this person's life, it chokes out their ability to take hold of the faith that they have. In Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus' words, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Look at letter C. We've got the crowded The thorny ground depicts one who seems to receive the word of God, but whose heart is full of riches and pleasures and lusts and the things that this world take his time and his attention away from the word, and he ends up not having any time for it at all. The heart of the thorny soil is enthusiastic initially about the gospel, but it's very easily distracted about what the world keeps flashing in front of his eyes. They're so busy grasping at everything, they forgot what they should hold on to, the one thing they should hold on to. It's not that any of these distractions are wrong in and uh, of themselves. It's that they divert the heart's attention. It's like Paul explains in the Corinthian church. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. When the heart can't differentiate between what's beneficial and what's destructive, the destructive forces eventually crowd out everything else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Last one, we've got the converted The good soil, the good ground portrays one that hears, understands, and receives the word and then allows the word to accomplish its result in his life. The man represented by the good ground is the one of four who's truly saved because salvation's proof is fruit. John chapter 15, verse 5, remember Jesus' words. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will do what? He will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If you ever want to know, is a person saved? Well, first of all, we're not God and we're not any man's judge. We can't uh, eternally condemn anybody. But I will tell you a powerful proof of one's salvation, a powerful proof of what type of soil that you are, is a soil that bears kingdom fruit in regards to repentance. We talked about fruit quite a bit just a few weeks ago. So what's the application? What's the application for today's sermon? There are several. First, God is always planting. He's always sowing. He's always farming within the hearts of men with the seed of the gospel. 
For believers, we are partners in that endeavor. Second, the seed that we possess, the same seed that has transformed our lives from dead to life, it's our responsibility to take part in that holy mission of God and to start spreading that seed with the people that we come in contact with. No, maybe your mission field is not China. Maybe your mission field is not India, but your mission field could be wherever it is you live and two steps outside your front door. Today, uh, maybe you might think about what kind of ground am I? Uh, Have I received the gospel? Is it too late for me to have my heart tilled up so the seed of the gospel can be planted in my spirit and, and that it could germinate and that I could actually have kingdom fruit? Oh, friend, it's never too late. As long as you've got, as long as your brain synapses are firing, as long as you've got oxygen in your lungs, it's never too late to say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my last question for you today is this. Where will you plant God's seed today?